You're listening to the Loveland Strong Podcast, sharing stories of struggle, endurance, and hope for the people of the Sweetheart City. Hello, hello. Welcome to the third episode of the Loveland Strong Podcast. My name is Bryson Lilly. Wonderful to have you again. Tremendous interview in store for you today. I've been out interviewing leaders in the city of Loveland, Colorado and surrounding areas, trying to hear how they're enduring this weird time in history and the hope they see and how people can join in. So far, I've Restricted that to City of Loveland bureaucrats, uh, Mayor Jackie Marsh, and then last time, Police Chief Bob Tyser and Assistant Chief Ray Butler. Today, though, we're going in a completely different direction and in the best possible way. One of the areas of the economy that's been hardest hit by the COVID pandemic and the resulting economic depression is the culinary world. And today I get to talk with one of Loveland's best known and beloved chefs, Clay Caldwell of Betagumbo. I have to tell you, friends, I haven't enjoyed a conversation like this one in a long time, mainly because I don't get to have many in-person chats due to the pandemic we're in. (laughs) Anyway, for those of you who know him, Chef Clay is this gregarious, outgoing, fun-loving guy. He's just one of those people you love to be around. And when you hit on something he's passionate about, like Southern cuisine, he will light up an entire room. I adore Cajun and Creole food. Plus, as you'll hear, I have roots, family roots in the Deep South. So I loved talking with Chef Clay about Southern cooking and soul food. That was definitely the entry point for this conversation on hope, and it went many different places from there. Now, let me give some of you who don't have a faith background a little bit of a heads up. We do talk using some very heavy Christian themes and metaphors here. Chef Clay is an active participant in his church and a big part of the Loveland City faith community. But whenever Christianity gets up, some people have a hard time connecting with it. So I'll challenge some of you without a faith background to stay in this interview with us. Because the principles that Chef Clay shares, some of the things he talks about and the way he finds hope are perfectly applicable to you. I especially love his emphasis on giving even more in times of strain and trial as a way of finding hope. Essentially, the, the way he presents us to find hope is valid for anybody. So I hope you'll hear through the Christian speak and straight through to that encouraging word. Plus, I think the way he talks about his family will connect with several of us. Many of us have roots in the Deep South and grew up in kitchens like the ones he describes. So when he brings up his, his family roots in Arkansas and beyond, it's going to transport you automatically back to your childhood, much like it did for me. So let's hear what Chef Clay has to say. This interview was recorded on October the 2nd, 2020, in the courtyard at Foundry Plaza. We were outside the Colorado Coffee Company, 
which you can tell because the background noise of this interview is rather profound. There's a lot of conversation, some trains going by, babies crying, people laughing. But then again, it actually fits Clay's personality having our talk in a place like this. He is a man of the people. He loves putting on a festive communal atmosphere to get people in a mood to enjoy themselves. So it was the perfect place to talk to him. Ladies and gentlemen, Chef Clay Caldwell. Chef Clay, thank you for joining me. Well, it's a good pleasure to be here. All right. So... Obviously, people can tell by your accent, you're not from here, but what brought you to Loveland? What do you do around here? Introduce yourself a little bit. Well, my name's Clay Caldwell. I own Betta Gumbo. We've been in operation here almost eight years. We moved here from Fort Worth, Texas, and had been there for a little under 20 years. My roots, though, go back to Arkansas. I was raised in central Arkansas in Benton, uh, right outside of Hot Springs or south of Little Rock. That's our family homestead and still go back and, and visit and see family. And But I enjoy Colorado. This has been such a treat for us, uh, a respite, even in uh, times like these, uh, just to be able to look up and see the Rocky Mountains. And, you know, it's just life-changing for us. And we really felt the a calling to Colorado, and it took four or five trips up here, searching out locations, and found uh, Loveland almost by accident. It what was, was it about Loveland that made you feel this is it, this is the place? Well, on the map, it looked like Loveland was in the gutter to Kansas, you know, because it's just flat, and then the mountains just jut up, and Loveland is right there. And having never been here, I didn't know what it looked like, you know, and uh, I wanted the mountains. I wanted Telluride or, mm. you know, up, up there, snowmobiles and such. But after everything panned out, nothing really worked or I didn't have peace, you know, and I just said, okay, no peace. I'm not moving. I'll just go back to doing what I do and and allow God to continue to speak to the life of my family. And my wife said, let's visit Loveland. And we have some old friends that live here. And I said, all right, we'll do that on the way home. And we did. And I saw downtown and it was not a very uh, attractive place at that point. What year was this? This was uh, 2012. So this was right as that whole downtown initiative was getting going? And... Right. This was right before that. Yeah. And I just had a an inner calling that I could make a difference in downtown. And chefs by trade are taught to have big egos and everything's about them. And it's about their menu, you know, what they're doing in food at the current moment. And for once... I was able to step out of that and say, what can I do for the community? And I knew I could bring a crowd and the crowd would change downtown. That's what we did. 
it wasn't easy. We worked hard. We, we made a success out of that 4th Street location. I have an interesting perspective on that because I lived in Loveland before I came back okay. a year and a half ago. Uh, I was here from 1996 to 2003, so I remember exactly what you're talking about. Downtown was there, but it really wasn't much going on. There was Angelo's Deli, where your old restaurant Correct. was. Correct. There right. was Probasco's Wig Shop, and there was yes. a couple other little things, but uh, a lot of untapped potential that has been drawn out by definitely uh, restaurants like yours, the shops that are down there. and. When I came back, I was like, wow, this place has become just a, a heart. I mean, Loveland was already great. I love Loveland anyway, but this was a great representation of who and what our community was. You know, it. what I found out about Loveland was that if I wove myself into the community and became a part, uh, being a part of that fabric, it, it began to change me and remind me of how I was raised in the South, where relationships were more important than commerce. And commerce was a benefit of having good relationships. And I just began to talk to people and be transparent with them. And they began to share their lives with me. You know, and I, I know so much about people that I would have never known if I had held to the old mindset of my training. And so we just became Loveland, you know, and embraced it fully with all the arts and, you know, the unique uh, blend of people. You know, if, when it comes to political, you have two sides, but in Loveland, there are a lot more sides than that. Uh, people see people for who they are and they're okay with that. Just have respect for each other. Even the differences, they, they're pretty okay with that. Just don't force them on me. That is the mindset of this town. We are the consummate purple community, if you want Right, that yeah, that's a good analogy, I like that. Yeah, so coming from where you did in uh, Arkansas, Texas, you bring a very unique style of cooking up here from the deep south. So, Tell me a little bit, why are you so passionate about that style of food? What is it about it that just drove you to cook it for people and to share it? Talk about that for a little bit. All right, so I, I ended up going to culinary school in New York at the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, upstate. And one of the things that I missed while I was engulfed in that uh, environment, I missed the hominess of uh, the food, uh, classically trained, uh, French cuisine, you know, everything was, uh, it was all about the dish. Where I grew up, it was all about the relationship of the person you're sharing a meal with. And I miss that. And so after all the years, and I had my success, but I came to the point where I was empty. And what really facilitated that, I believe, was the sterileness of having relationships in, on, at the table. It was a meal to serve and let you praise me, opposed to a meal to serve and share your heart with me. And 
I mean, in the South, you walk in the back door. You don't use the front door. You walk in the back door, the screen door slams, you know, you holler out, here I am, you know, and Mm -hmm. you sit at the kitchen table and here comes a slice of pie and a cup of coffee. And you laugh, cry, whatever you do at in the at the table and just talk about life. And that's really what I needed to return to was a place where community happens, where food is a vehicle to weave in relationships. With, and I think we've done pretty well with that. Two thoughts come to mind. It's interesting the the uh, kind of the methodology you're talking about with there with food in the traditional world. It's food is the ends of the end of the means. It's the focused, and then it's kind of an right. upward focus. You focus on the food, and then the chef corrects that. But you didn't like that. You wanted it, it to be the other way. The chef who prepares the food, and then it's the focus on the people who are at the table, the right. life they are sharing right there. Correct. Yeah. You know, there's the biblical word quanonia, yeah. and it talks about the breaking of bread mm-hmm. in relationship with people. And that's really the cornerstone of the thought process. You know, and we hug. I mean, there's high fives. There's all that that tactile part of our concept. Um, we don't put on airs. We're just a very common uh, approach to taking care of people. Another thing came to mind, this is kind of a personal anecdote. I, I was telling you earlier, I have family that was from Arkansas. Uh, your story about the screen door, it brought to mind my great aunt. Uh, her name was Margie. She was from Arkansas, classic Archie. And anytime we went to her house, she was my grandmother basically. And we went to her house multiple times a month. And anytime we went to her house, we would automatically become hungry. It would drive my parents nuts. And my Aunt Margie always had a giant thing of cornbread just ready to go. And basically, she would meet us at the door with it and say, have you kids eaten in a while? And of course, we'd be, no, we're hungry. Even if we just come from a big meal or just with my folks. We'd, no, we're hungry. And then she would chastise my parents. Why don't you beat these kids at us? Oh, yeah. would subsequently be shuffled off to the table to have cornbread or uh, it was morning biscuits or just there was always some sort of food cooking in my Aunt Margie's house. Yes. There's a story that I grew up with that um, come home from church. Um, we'd all pile in my grandparents' house. Uh, Grandmother Smithers was the perfect hostess but she would have on you know her silk dress all of her diamonds high heels and she'd pull out dinner uh lunch you know sunday lunch and never sweat a drop gracious well-tempered you know just a perfect scenario of of love and um, judgment-free zone you know and and so uh, I think our family upbringings, like yours, you know, is it forms us. It, it dictates a standard to us that we have to choose to walk with or not, you know, in life as we grow older. So food is important in my life. I just enjoy using it as a tool to take care of people. 
So I got to know, what is your favorite dish in the world to cook and why? Spaghetti and meatballs. Really? It is. It's a, it's a comfort food for me. And I, I just, I, I love it, you know, and simplicity, homemade meatballs, just nice and done perfectly. A, a good sauce, homemade and pasta. And I just like the simplicity of it. You know, I love gumbo, beans and rice, but spaghetti and meatballs, I'm a kid at heart. I'll, I'll share with you my favorite dish, southern dish. You guys make a mean version of it over there. Fried okra. Oh, oh yeah. I just, I could eat a whole bunch of it, which is not, not a good thing because it's not very good for you. But uh, there's just something about it, that kind of crispy and like that chewiness and uh, nothing better. wonder what that says about me, that that's my favorite southern food. I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, as long as it's fried and you got some ketchup, I guess... I'm happy with pretty much anything. Mm -hmm. so, so one of the things I've been asking people since the COVID world and everything else going on is wearing us down. What's this been like for you and kind of the restaurant industry here in town? And I serve on the executive committee for the uh, Colorado Restaurant Association. And we get a very high profile view of what the restaurant bar industry looks like and currently, we're almost at 3,000 restaurants and bars that have closed for good. Wow. And all of those numbers also have the related human part of employees that depended on that income, you know, and that throws them into uh, unemployment and state and federal services. Uh, just the financial impact to ownership, you know, as well. And then you have landlords. And so it, it gets messy really quick. I remember when Governor Polis uh, shut us down, I sat at the table and I put my head down and I was like, I just opened three weeks ago. How is this going to impact me? And I've, I felt fear crawling up my leg, you know, and and um, the shortness of breath and my vision started kind of tunneling and fear's not something I experience a lot of. I'm pretty bold and assertive in life. And when I do hit fear, you know, I try to hit it head on and deal with it. And I didn't do well for about a week. After that, it was a Sunday afternoon and the business was like $300 for the day, which didn't even pay for labor. And I came to the point where I just said, I'm going home. I'm going to get out of here. So I went home and I sat down talking to the family and I could feel myself just caving in. And something in me, that little voice, just said, get up. And I jumped up like somebody had scared me. And I just said, okay, I will not submit to this. I'm going to fight it. And that still small voice said, 
package your food up and go to the hospital. So I called the restaurant. I said, take all the food, package it up into small meals, and I'm coming to get it. I loaded the truck up and drove to the hospital. I called Mindy McLuhan, our Chamber of Commerce president. I said, I need a contact at the hospital to get in to take some food to the first responders. She called back, got me in touch with the right person. I delivered that food. And when I pulled away, I said, you know, God, that was my tithe. That's, that's my last part of the grain, you know, the biblical story, and I give it back to you. And when I did that, there was such a release that happened. And I can still remember the chills that I got at that moment because I knew I had put my life in the right hands and I knew it was going to be okay. And every day I just would say, all right, lead me in today. What do I need to do? Um, and those thoughts just continued. That instruction just continued to flow. And we decided to start a not-for-profit and start feeding the community because we weren't busy. I have a brand new kitchen with top of the line equipment and I, my staff needs to work. And I said, all right, I'm just gonna pay them to cook for the community. And we handed out 8,000 meals. We had a chance to pray with 6,000 people. We saw all sorts of intervention that God did in people's lives. Uh, Ultimately, it was the show of love that was unconditional, without judgment. And every day was just a, an experience. We had over 100 volunteers every week uh, handing out food and uh, emptying trash and doing dishes and, you know, cooking. And it was an incredible moment. And that reaching out of my it, personal issues with the restaurant, reaching out of that and putting my hand to help somebody else shifted our mindset and it we weren't self-pitying ourselves and weren't downcast. Uh, I'm struck by how outwardly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, unusual your response would be. I mean, you're, so much is being asked for you, taken from you by the situation you're in, and yet your response is to give even more. Well, I mean, growing up in the church, all those um, Bible stories, you know, casting your bread upon the water, and it returns back to you. You know, um, trust in the Lord always. And given it shall be given it everything just pointed to do unto others as you would have them do unto you and we decided to just love people and didn't matter if they were homeless or driving a range rover we saw both you know and to do it open-hearted and without any strings attached um, I purposely did not stand out on the on the street there and hand out meals because I didn't want anybody to feel like they knew me and you know they felt shame 
because there was there's no shame in that. And we know the the word of God says that you know if you have two coats, give one away. And I I gave meals away. A lot of the the community uh, gave to that fund. We raised over sixty thousand um, dollars. We also still have about thirty thousand left that we're going to kick in again and do holiday meals for families. So just giving out of your own need opens a a realm where God is fighting on your behalf. And when fear would try to sneak in and and start talking to me, I just have to shut it down and say no. You know, I refuse to believe that. I have a choice on what I believe. And I will not walk in fear. I will walk in faith and hope and love. And every day that's what got us through. That's what still moves us. How else do you see the restaurant industry, your your colleagues, your friends around here in the food work? How else are they getting through that you're seeing? Well, our city did something uh, extraordinary for the restaurant and bar industry here. They enabled us to expand our patios. And then also the liquor authority allowed us to expand our liquor licenses out to those patios that were extended. And that created larger outdoor dining spaces. And that cash infusion over the summer did more than any governmental handout. Uh, it gave it gave us the uh, tools to fish for ourselves instead of being handed a fish. You know, uh, that creates dependency. And entrepreneurs are not real big on depending on somebody. We like being in charge of our own lives. And that's why we're willing to take the risks, you know, but being able to have live music down here in the foundry and to see people uh, shedding that heaviness that uh, 2020 has tried to bring upon us, you know, all of the, whether it was racism or, uh, you know, the violence and uh, COVID-19 and uh, we could go on and on yeah, with all that. I'll be so glad. We're going to have a, a New Year's Eve party like, <laughs> like never before, you know, and it's 2021. We're ready for, you know, hope and uh, joy and all of that to come. But our our businesses, we've uh, we've learned to talk to each other and to uh, be honest with each other. You know, because it's hard to say, oh, I'm doing great when everybody knows you're struggling. And so um, just having those, building those relationships in times of struggle uh, has been a benefit. You know, I know more business owners at a deeper level now than I did before. And uh, that, that's been a benefit. Uh, another kind of connective aspect in what you just said. I mean, 
you said what helped get you through is when the liquor license authorities and all that, they started giving what they didn't necessarily need to give. They gave you permission to to be able to serve out here in the courtyard here or yes. uh, to have that. Uh, I love that you referenced it, how they shut down 4th Street every Saturday for tables and right. music. and They didn't have to do that. They went a little bit extra for everybody. And it just, when people give unreservedly, that's how we all endure through this. Right. And it was... Um, Everybody had some had a part to play yep. in the recipe. It may not have been two cups of something, but it was a tablespoon, according to what they were able to do. And when you put it all together, you're able to produce something that has benefit. Yeah, that's a perfect segue to my last question for you. From our conversation, I can tell you, I see, I know, know where your hope is coming from. It's coming from your faith. It's coming from the life people share around the table. And you said everyone has a role to play in that. So where do the people of Loveland, the everyday population, the people who are looking at the year 2020 and saying, oh my goodness, where do I fit into this? What do I do? Where do they find your hope and how do they join in? Well, I think, I don't think, let me change that. I believe that the way out of this situation relies on one person, and that's the one in the mirror. It's the man in the mirror that has the ability to change his world. But if I reach out and I, I enter into some level of contact with everyone that I have contact with uh, at the restaurant, I can build that bridge that lets people know you're not alone you know i'm here if you ever need me and i have people who've come we've been blessed during this covid crisis uh, because of our location and what it affords us is tremendous amount of space it's almost like a respite here a lagoon and we've prospered and prospered greatly and it's not because of my uh, wits that we were able to do that. You know, I believe God ordered our footsteps and placed us here to be a light and to have influence and to use that influence to speak up for righteousness, to call joy into people's lives and, and love and peace. You know, we are the ambassadors of uh, what God is doing in the earth. Or salt and light. And light, exactly. And we ha we need to be assertive in because when someone's in pain and you hold the remedy, you know, and it doesn't mean you carry your Bible around and beat somebody over the head with it, but you're real. We're not handing out religion in our, our lives. We should be handing out the gospel, which is... I love you unconditionally. I like how you put that. I, I like that definition of hope. It starts here, the person right. in the mirror. You gotta, I mean, kind of bear down and just keep putting one foot in front of another. But then the people who help you do that are your neighbors around you, and you have to find ways to authentically connect with them past yes. the the technology, past the political differences, past the 
all the myriad of things that are keeping us apart right now. It's all about relationships. Yeah. One thing I've done quite a bit during this time, instead of sending an email to somebody, I went and got a stack of stationery, different cards, and um, I've written a lot of handwritten notes to people. And some that I knew even had a problem with me. I didn't sign it. I just sent them a note of encouragement and that I believed in the talents that were in their life, that they could take their business to the next level, even during this time. And just, just to encourage people. And I think that's part of why we've done well is that we've put our sights on not the problem, but the solution. It, you're, you go the direction of your eyes. So whatever you're looking at is what you're going to go towards. If you look towards the anger and the hostility that people are sowing into our communities, then you're going to get drawn into that. If you look, doesn't mean that you ignore it, but you're aware of the situation. But look towards the source. Look to the hills. You know, that's where your help comes from. And it just is fairly simple, but we make it so complicated. It sells more books when it's complicated, you know. <laughs> yeah, when it's all about loving one another as we are loved. I mean, that's enshrined in countless faiths, so countless mindsets. So, yeah, definitely rock solid truth right there. Yeah. We can always find rock solid truth around a good pole of gumbo. I'll tell you that much. And you make a fabulous one over at your restaurant. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure and wish you all the best. it but chef and i spent about 10 to 15 minutes extra just talking about life and southern cooking and all the things in between our conversation was true soul food chef clay was so right we need to be with other people and the best place to do that is around the table around a steaming bowl of food or a meal prepared with love and memory there is nothing finer than that. Nothing finer at all. So, I'm curious, where did you hear hope in that? What encouragement did you draw from that big, burly Southern gentleman and his passion for soul cuisine? As I said in the intro, I was spellbound by his, his idea of giving more as a way of finding hope. That even in the hardest time, with the least amount of resources, you should give even more to others. For when you make that investment, you find that it comes back to you. You find others giving out of their scarcity and supporting you. So what do you have to give? I'm guessing you don't have a pile of gourmet southern food lying around like Chef Clay did to start his nonprofit with. Yet I'm sure the people of Loveland have resources they could provide. There's many of us with additional time on our hands with the pandemic. 
talents that are being underutilized. A few of us do have treasure we can invest in enterprises like Clay's Foods Distribution and his nonprofit, as well as the other organizations out there that are trying to promote positive change. So where do you fall in all that? What do you have to give? It may not look like much from the outside. You might have 10, 15 minutes here, a passion for a hobby that's not being used as much as it was, a couple extra bucks in your wallet. It may not be much, a proverbial drop in a bucket. But if Chef Clay's example teaches us anything, it's that a drop in the bucket is enough to start the waves rippling. A few meals donated to people in the hospital, hungry people who can go to his restaurant and find community around the table, that spreads outward. Those small acts become large as more people are influenced. It's like dropping a giant stone in a still pond. It ripples out from that epicenter. My hope from this conversation is realizing I have so many stones I can throw and many ponds that can be disturbed, if you want to put it that way. And many of us can join together in this fashion to create some wonderful, dynamic change here in Loveland. So let's join together in that. And as we close, I'll remind you, as I always do at the end of these episodes, to keep looking for the hopers the people who are out there telling you things can be better, that life will improve if we try. That hope can be brought forth in the most oddest of ways. Like today when we learned that hope can be a steaming bowl of gumbo. Speaking of gumbo, I'm getting a little hungry. Recording this interview and remembering the awesome smells coming from better gumbo, I think I might have to go run and grab a snack. So... Thank you for joining us today, friends. Keep looking for the hopers. They are out there like Chef Clay, who will fill, whose food will fill an empty stomach and his table will fill an empty soul. Take care. Loveland Strong Podcast is done in association with Trinity United Methodist Church of Loveland, Colorado. For any questions or feedback, please email us at lovelandstrong at gmail.com. Thank you so much for being with us. See you next time.